Well, it's great to have you here today. My name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors at Heritage, and I'd like to extend a warm welcome to all of you, but especially to those of you who are our guests, and uh, we're glad you're here. Trust that your time with us will be profitable, and uh, don't forget, as has already been mentioned, stop by. I can see Karen's face right through the door there out at the Welcome Center, and uh, we'd love to get to know you. We have a gift for you as a guest, and uh, thank you for joining us. Just about three weeks ago, this past Friday and Saturday, we had uh, our men's retreat out at Rock Mountain Bible Camp, had a, had a great time together, and uh, Dennis Wilhite challenged us, shared with us uh, from 2 Timothy, and uh, we especially zeroed in on chapter 4 and verse 7. Um, Dennis took that and kind of then moved backwards and uh, the verse uh, that we looked at, uh, verse 7, 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And, and, and this is close to the end of Paul's life, or at least he certainly thought at that point. And, uh, and then it was, okay, if we're going to be able to get there in our lives, we have to move backwards, and what are the things we need to do to be able to have that true of us, to be able to have it true that we fought the good fight, that we finished the race, that we kept the faith. Well, yesterday morning, right here in room 111, we had a group of the guys that had been on that retreat have breakfast together. And uh, Dennis joined us, and, and we talked together um, about life. We wanted to follow up. How are we doing? What was it that we talked about, that God stirred our hearts about, that, that we've been thinking about, that we're learning? How are we doing with life? And um, for me lately, it's been about the race, and uh, I, I shared a little bit, as, as a number of us did, and talked about that. I'd been thinking about the race, but I've been thinking about the race as a straight line, kind of not, not a, a big, long thing. Um, you line up, you run, and you go down, and boom, you're done. And, and I wasn't hung up in the marathon, the 26-mile versus the, you know, 100-meter run and that, that wasn't my just the concept that it's just a race you run down the track or even around the track a nice flat no obstacles I'm not talking about the hurdles or the steeplechase and if you're familiar with all that stuff involved in track or the Olympics and not having to jump over things or run through things or around things just run the race go down and boom you're, you're, you're done. Well, a week ago, um, Jane and I received this picture from our son, Luke, and he and our grandson, Chael, were that night going to be running a 5K race together. For those of you who don't know, a 5K is just a little over three miles. So they were going to do it that evening, and uh, so they'd gotten registered, and he sent this picture, and and, of course, Luke's wife, Trisha, our daughter-in-law, is also sending texts, please pray, pray for Luke and for Chael because it's cold and it's really windy and, and it's just, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, it's a race, come on. What? And, and so uh, and they're ready to go, and as it turns out, by the way, I have to do my grandfather bragging, Chael took third place. Yeah, and... Uh, He's only 11 years old, and his group was like up to age 14. The two guys that won were both 14 years old. So we're thinking, hey, Chael, way to go, 11-year-old. You're, you're right there. And, and uh, so, so there it is. But it was a tough 5K. It, it was uh, not just that race down the track or around the track or whatever may have been, but it was in the dark and it got darker as they ran and they had to have a headlamp on 
uh, so they could see where they're going. At the start of the race, it was in the upper 30s, but the wind was blowing and it kept getting colder. Now, folks, we're not talking northeastern Pennsylvania. We're talking Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> so that's cold down there. And uh, the wind chill and all the rest, the, the course, a lot of ups and downs, tough hills. It was a rugged course, Luke said. And they had to determine, as he and Chael were running, that they were going to run hard and give it everything they got and push through. Well, that's the, how the race for me has been lately, I, I think, as, I, as I've been just dealing with some things. And by no means a flat, straight, simple track with no obstacles. Just run around and you're fine. But that's life for all of us, isn't it? Life rarely is just the line up, run down, and boom, you're good. And it certainly wasn't for them that night at the 5K. For those of us who know Jesus, the Bible confirms that it will not be an easy race. We sometimes think because we know Jesus, life should be easy. Life should be problem-free. It, it's not that way. God never promised it would be that way. Well... The church in Ephesus, we've been in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and, and we're just going to wrap that up, and I'm not actually going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see where I'm going in just a minute. But as Paul was writing to Timothy, who he was telling how to minister to the believers in the church at Ephesus, that's what 1 Timothy was about. And, and the church there in Ephesus was a mess, a Big mess, spiritual warfare going on big time. That's what was happening. It was not an easy race. It was not an easy ministry by any means there in Ephesus. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul told Timothy, command certain people not to teach false doctrines anymore. That was a problem. There were some of the people from within the church teaching false doctrine, false teaching, false teachers. And Paul's telling Timothy, deal with that, Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 18, he said, fight the battle well, Timothy. You need to do that. Chapter 1, verse 19, he says, but understand that some have already suffered shipwreck. Doesn't sound good. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Listen, understand, Timothy, that in the last days, some will abandon the faith, walk away from what they've believed. Chapter 5, verse 15, Paul said, Some have already turned away to follow Satan. Chapter 5, verse 20, Paul talked about the elders, the pastors of the church there in Ephesus, who were sinning. Yes, the leaders of the church, sinning. Chapter 6, verse 10, Paul warned Timothy to warn the people about the love of money being the root of all evil. In chapter 6, verse 12, he said, you've got to fight that good fight. And then in verse 21 of chapter 6, he said, because some have already departed from the faith. Doesn't sound like a pretty picture. Doesn't sound like a simple run around the track on a Sunday afternoon. And that's what Paul told Timothy he had to face. We looked at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy. And this is what Paul said. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul said, Timothy, I'm going to hope to be there, but if I don't get there, you know what to tell God's people at the church in Ephesus about how they need to conduct themselves in the church, not the building. And we made the point, this isn't about telling your kids, stop running in the church. 
I remember that. My mom and dad, after church was over, you know, that was the thing kids liked to do up and down the aisles and sometimes under the chairs, right? And it was, stop, this is God's house. Well, no, not really. We are God's house. It's just an auditorium, folks. This is an auditorium. This is not the church. You are the church. We say that all the time, but I'm telling you, it is amazing how we live as if we believe this building is the church. And we don't remember and understand that we as believers who are joined together in this local area, who meet in this building, that we are the church. And it is when people talk about the church, they're talking about us. And, and we need to know how we conduct ourselves with one another. Paul, I think, really is talking about how we run the race. It is important how we run the race. Well, understand that overseers, that pastors, that elders, those are all, as we looked at the text over a number, a number of weeks ago, are all used interchangeably as terms for the pastor, what we typically call here at Heritage the pastor. That would be Pastor Paul and myself. And the pastors must also know how to conduct themselves because as I shared with you already, Paul had said there are already some of the pastors that were involved in sin in the church and they had to be dealt with. So it was important that the pastors also know how to conduct themselves. Now, we've looked at the character and qualifications that God has given us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that are necessary for the men that God calls pastor or elder or overseer, for those who will lead, who will shepherd the local church. We looked at those qualifications and we also took a brief look at what it is that pastors do from what Paul talked about when he looked at verse or Acts chapter 20 and talked to the Ephesian elders and, and we just skimmed over that and I want to again look at that text in Acts chapter 20 and quickly walk through the role of the pastor, of the elder from a big picture perspective and answer the question, okay, let's make clear what do pastors do? What do pastors do? We've been through the qualifications of the pastor and, and elder. We've been through the qualifications for a deacon. We looked last week at what do deacons do, and I want to just touch again from a big picture perspective, what do pastors do? So in a sense, I'm painting a target on Paul's back and mine this morning. And it may sound as we talk about some of these things like, wow, that's pretty arrogant. My daughter <laughs> told, told us the other day in a text, she said um, she and our little granddaughter, Basie, she's four years old, they're going to pick up my sister, so that would be Basie's aunt, and uh, they went and picked her up, she got in the car in the front door, sat down, and, and Basie says, everybody who thinks I'm cute, raise your hand. <laughs> we, we, we broke out laughing. Of course, Abby is appalled. What would you say, Basie? That is so prideful. I don't think she said that because I don't think she knows what pride But it's, you know, and, and that's not what we're doing this morning. We're going to share with you what God's Word says. So please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 31. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, or a tablet. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 31. We have a Bible underneath chairs in front of you, and uh, in those Bibles, page 775, you can find the text that we'll be looking at. Page 775, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 31, we're going to take a look at. And here's what I want you to understand as we talk about what it is that pastors do what it is that pastors do, we're going to look at three things. And number one, as your pastors, for Pastor Paul and myself, we must be an example, first of all. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 21 for that. Look with me and just follow along as I read. Uh, verse 17, 
from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's Paul doing? Well, he's setting himself up as an example. Paul had been an elder. He was an apostle, but he had planted any number of churches. Ephesus is one of those churches that he planted. He had been the main pastor, the lead pastor in that church, an elder. And he's saying to the elders of the church in Ephesus, He's talking to them. You know this is how I lived my life. You understand Paul had lived with transparency and openness. As they say, his life was an open book. There was nothing hidden in Paul's life from the people of that church. And he's saying to the elders, the pastors of that church, Basically the same thing. He says, you need to live the same way. I want my life to be an example. He says, as it relates to serving, he says, verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility. There was no question that Paul worked hard, that he served God's people, but that he did it with humility. He didn't run around, hey, anybody who thinks I'm a good-looking pastor, raise your hand. Anybody who thinks I'm doing a great job, raise your hand. That's not what Paul was doing. He says, with great humility, I serve the Lord with tears. In the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, Paul was a Jew. And so those Jews there who created life, made life very difficult, created all kinds of opposition Severe testing, Paul says, I served with great humility. Paul didn't lash out. He didn't strike back. With great humility, he says. And obviously, men, pastors, that's how you need to live your life. As he goes on, he says, verse, uh, he said, with great endurance. That's what, what he was saying about dealing with the severe testing. He moves on through, and, and, and really, he's talking about honesty. He says, verse 20, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. In other words, I didn't keep anything back. That's the New American Standard translation of I have not hesitated. I didn't hold anything back. When you needed to hear the truth, no matter how hard it may have been, I told you the truth. I gave you the truth of the word of God. I let you know what you needed to hear. I didn't hesitate to give you the truth of the gospel. As he says, I've declared both to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, folks, sometimes that's a difficult thing to say. Hey, you need to repent. Jew and Gentile. Paul wasn't a respecter of persons. It didn't matter. They needed to hear the truth. They needed to hear the gospel. Whatever it was, what they needed to hear. He said both to, to the Jews and to the Greeks. To the Jews and the Gentiles. I didn't hold anything back. I gave them the truth. I told them they needed to, have, they needed to repent and believe. That's what he says. And he says, you know that that's how I lived my life. There's nothing secret. There was nothing behind closed doors that he was ashamed of. You know how I lived. Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, when also describing what do pastors do, he said this, chapter 5, verse 3, that as pastors, as elders, they should not lord it over those entrusted to you. But notice this, but being examples to the flock. Who's the flock? That's sheep, right? 
Well, that's the terminology that God uses in the word. Peter uses it. Paul uses it. The writer of the book of Hebrews uses it. Talking about God's people, the church. They're sheep who need a shepherd. The flock, he says, being examples to the flock. Elders, pastors are to be examples of what a believer ought to be. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. The writer there says, remember your leaders. Doesn't use the word pastor or elder or overseer, but it uses leaders. And we know as you read through in the context, he was talking about the pastors. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What's he saying? Follow their example. And again, that sounds, wow. That, that could be hard. And, and quite honestly, I'm selling Paul. I said, I did say to him this morning as we were praying, I'm painting the picture, I'm painting the target on your back, man. <laughs> but it's on mine too. To say that, our lives need to be example. How can, I, how can we do that? That's what Paul did. Paul said, hey, be followers of me. But what was the condition? Even as I am following Christ, that's how. I wouldn't dare tell you to follow me. You'd have to be an Eagles fan. See, I knew you wouldn't like that. But it's... uh, (laughs) Helen, let's not get into a football argument here, all right? But it's follow me, follow Paul as we follow Christ. If we're not following Christ, then don't follow. But that's the truth of Scripture. Follow our example. Came across this statement from an old Scottish preacher, theologian, author, Robert Murray McShane, who was a pastor, wrote this, My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Yeah, God would have you to be holy, but you know what? That's, that's, that's the kind of humility that Paul and I want to see demonstrated, want to demonstrate in our lives. Hey, my, your greatest need is my personal holiness. Because if I'm not walking with God, if Paul's not walking with God in a holy manner, you'd you'd be justified in not following. As your pastors, Paul and I must be examples to the believers. Secondly, as your pastors, we must stay on mission. Verses 22 to 24 Acts 20, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, Paul Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem. Remember, he's talking to the pastors of the church in Ephesus. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul says, I'm going to continue to serve. Oh, yeah, prison, prison is waiting for me. Hardships are going to be there. Paul talks about the hardships in his letters to the church in Corinth. Talked about all that he had to deal with. And yet, he said, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. What's the task? What's the race? Finish the race and complete the task? What is that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We just sang about God's grace. When death was arrested, destroyed and my life began why because of the grace of God the gospel of Jesus Christ what is that that Jesus died in my place in your place for my sins for your sins that's the gospel 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him, what he did on the cross for us because of our sin, that he died in our place for our sin, that whoever would believe in him, believe that, would have everlasting, eternal life, would experience forgiveness of sin. That's the only way that that happens. And our sin will send us to hell without Jesus. Your sin without Jesus will send you to hell because that's where God's wrath on your sin forever will happen. But because God loved us, because Jesus died in our place, that's the good news of God's grace. And Paul is saying, my goal, my only aim, I know it's going to be hard. I know prison's waiting for me. No, the hardships are there, but it doesn't matter because I count my life worth nothing. You imagine us saying that in this easy day in which we live? The things that we complain about in life. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't hardships in life. There certainly are. There absolutely are. Things that we face that are tough to deal with, and we need God's strength and God's grace to get through all of that. But Paul says, you know what? As it relates to my sharing the gospel, completing the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace My life is worth nothing because prison and hardships or anything else aren't going to keep me from telling that story, from my task of declaring God's grace. That's the mission. As your pastors, we will do everything necessary to stay on mission. That's our mission. That's my mission. That's Paul's mission. That's our mission as a church. That's the Great Commission. Matthew 28. To make disciples of all nations. To go. Proclaim the truth of the gospel. Baptize those who believe. And teach to obey. All the commands that God had given. That's our task. And we must stay on mission And that's where we as a church must be. And it is our job as your pastors to make sure that we are on mission, that we don't get wrapped up in all kinds of other things that just distract us from reaching people for Christ. Steve Marshall. Anybody know who Steve Marshall is? Thank you. Pastor Paul, Jane, you, uh, come on, Steve, it's not a trick question. Now, out of nowhere, I realize you just, where, where'd you pull that from? Well, Steve Marshall and his wife, Sabrina, and their four boys, I'm not going there, all right. Steve was here, his grandmother died uh, this past uh, week or so ago, and Steve and his sister flew home from France and went to the funeral, and Steve emailed us, and he stopped down to see us Thursday uh, during the day, and we got to spend some time talking with him and hear about what's going on in France in Lyon, I think I said that the right way, notice that excellent French (laughs) accent, Lyon, and uh, all of, I won't try to say any of those other French words that he said, because I'll mess them up big time, But, but he was talking to us about all of what's going on, and as they're sharing Christ, and we got to talk with him, he said, what's happening here? I said, well, uh, Steve, we, as we shared with him, each of us, it just it's been great to see we've been seeing people come to Christ this year we've baptized some adult new adult believers we just had another one a couple of weeks ago and you're going to hear more I don't want to take the thunder but you're going to hear more about somebody who came to Christ and 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 you're going to see that baptism somewhere down the road here and and it's a thrill because that's why we're here That's our mission. And it is our job as pastors to keep us on mission. 
Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, as I shared with you, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the fight I, of the faith, I kept my life on mission. That's what he told the Ephesian elders. And I want to come back to the race as we get to the end of the message. As your pastors, lastly, we must shepherd the sheep. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. We must shepherd the sheep. Verse 25, Acts 20. Now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He's saying goodbye. This is the last time you're going to see me. Verse 26. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. This wasn't about guilt. This wasn't about any criticism Paul was just simply saying I've done what God's called me to do I've given you the gospel I've declared the truth proclaimed God's grace the good news of God's grace verse 27 for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God he's already said that earlier and here it is keep verse 28 keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. He's talking to the Ephesian elders, the elders of the church in Ephesus. He's saying those, you men must shepherd, you must pastor. That's the English word that we translate. You must pastor the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He's saying, I have no regrets. I declared the whole counsel of God. I preached to you the gospel. I told you about the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of, of any of you because I gave you. You have to respond. Now, I don't think he was wiping his hands and saying, okay, I don't, you, you didn't respond, that's, that's your problem now. I, I could give a rip. No, I don't think he was saying, I think he did give a rip. You can tell by what he's talking and the tears that he'd shed already. He talked about that. But the idea, he says, I haven't hesitated to proclaim the truth. And, and he says, I, he says, keep watch over yourselves. He said, you men as pastors must keep watch over God's people, the sheep. You must watch over the flock. God has made you overseers. God has given you the responsibility to, to be over them, to lead them. But he's saying there that uh, uh, as shepherds, it is critical that you take care of the sheep. Pay attention to them. When he says keep watch, he's meaning to be on your guard. Watch out for them. Be ready to protect them as you care. We know the story that Jesus told in John chapter 10 about, about the sheep and, and, and how that they know his voice and that how he calls them to feed them and care for them and lead them. And that's the analogy that Paul is talking to these pastors about. He says, be shepherds. Pay attention to their needs. That word, the idea is devotion. Give thought to them. Give everything you have to their care. Take care of. That's what a shepherd does. Paul had said uh, earlier in chapter 3, and we've already been there, verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Well, the word care there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 is the same word for care that Luke uses when he talked about the Good Samaritan and how the Good Samaritan cared for that guy that was beaten up and wounded and left for dead. Same word. That's the kind of care that Paul and I are responsible to give to you as the sheep as God's people, as the body of believers that we call heritage. 
The protection is necessary because notice he, he says there in, in verse 29 and 30, after I leave, I know savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Those were false teachers and others from outside the church. But he also said, and just remember this, some even from your own number, some from within the church will come and distort the truth so that they can get disciples to follow them. I got to say that we're not here, Paul nor I, to, to gain a following for ourselves. It's to gain a following for our Savior. That's what Paul was saying. Shep, shepherd the sheep. Be on your guard. Stay awake. Be in a constant state of readiness. Be spiritually alert. That's why we saw last week in Acts chapter 6 when, when the, the, the apostles who were functioning as the pastors of the church there in Jerusalem said we need to appoint some deacons so that we can pay attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's because there's a need for spiritual alertness and ministry, prayer, and the word of God. Lead them, feed them. Paul says, I never stop warning you and the church. And he's saying, pastors, that's your responsibility. Hebrews chapter 17 and verse 13 have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. That word have confidence in a number of translations says obey them. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit to their authority. Now here, here we go again. It's kind of, I said to Paul, this is just, it's like, wow. Talk about painting a target on our back. But I don't, we don't look at it that way because... We are here to serve. But the idea of having confidence in your leaders, submitting to their authority, being persuaded to obey them because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And again, Peter says it in chapter 5 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. I don't have to do this. Paul doesn't have to do this. You've called us, and it's a desire that God has put in our hearts. That's what Peter is saying, pastors. You say, okay, so what now? You're telling us about what you do. And all of them, how we should respond to that. Well, here's the deal. Again, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders. Obey them that have the rule over you, your pastors. And submit to their authority. Why should we? Some might say. Because they keep watch over you. As those who must give an account. I want to say to you folks, because we care about you, we love you. We have a spiritual interest and a desire to see you all become examples so that each of you can say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. You see, that's why we're here. We're here to protect you, to feed you, to lead you, to strengthen you, to care for you. That's the job that God has given to us as your pastors. This is God's plan. If it wasn't God's plan, I wouldn't stand up here and say, folks, you got to follow us. But can I tell you, because it's God's plan, that will be of benefit to you. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says, verse, the end of verse 17. Do this so that their work will be a joy. There's no question that when you're following because we want to lead, that it's a joy. It's a whole lot more fun, right, Paul? And we have been having fun lately. I, well, not just lately. 
But that's what he says. And then he goes on and he says, not a burden. It won't be a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. You see, that means there would be benefit to you as you follow. I think there would be that same joy as you follow. Certainly joy for us to know that God's people, the sheep are following the shepherd, but, but the benefit that will come. You see, God has provided protection for you within the body of believers that we call heritage, the local church, by giving you pastors who are called to be an example, who are called to lead you on mission, who are called to shepherd you, to care for you, to feed you, to guide you, to lead you, to care, to do those things. That's what God has called us to do for you. And as you follow, you will be the beneficiary. So back to my thoughts on the race. As we talked yesterday morning about 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. I shared, I know that I need to trust God. I must believe and obey. I must follow my Savior. Certainly, if I'm going to finish the race, if I'm going to, there's no question, but if I'm going to stay in the race now, I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to trust Him. My sister is having surgery tomorrow. She has a very large tumor in her abdomen. We drove down about a month ago to be with her. They thought they were going to do surgery. We drove all the way down there to South Jersey, two and a half hours or so and, you know, and, and got there and the anesthesiologist comes in and says, I don't think we can do this today. <laughs> okay. I love driving on this school girl for no reason. <laughs> so we said, all right, and nothing we can do about that. We trust the providence of God. We came home and they tried to... Re so she, my sister calls me last week, says they were going to reschedule in, in December. It's the day before Heritage Christmas. And I'm like, what? Okay, Lord. Uh, I said, Candy, I'm not sure what, what... You're my sister. We need to be there. It's family. But I'm not... So we're, well, she calls us the Thursday and says, they've moved it up till tomorrow. Uh, Monday? Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I don't have the time this week. What in the world? I didn't say that to her. <laughs> and I'm thinking a couple of days surgery, she lives by herself. She's never been married. She, she's all by herself. My youngest sister has moved, so she's there by herself. And it's like the care that's needed. And I'm like, Lord, I got other things I have to do this week. Lord, what's going on? I, you know, now, I, I'm whining and complaining about all that kind of stuff. And Jenny Wyman falls and breaks her ankle and has surgery on Friday because she had three breaks. And that's all fixed. And she's home in a lot of pain. Linda Kiesling fell a month or so ago and broke her foot. And she's here with us. And others of you have had, I, I, I can't remember all the things, but your Don Ellsworth is not well, folks. If you're reading our emails, you need to pray for Don. He's struggling physically with all kinds of things in the hospital. And my concerns aren't anything like that stuff. But I'm like, God, what are you doing? I, and I thought it hit me yesterday morning when I shared with the guys, you know what, I can't even trust God to take care of that little schedule issue. And I'm thinking, what are our people going through that they're struggling to trust God about? And then I thought, you know what, I've got to be a leader. Paul has to be a leader. And you know what it takes? If you're going to run the race and stay in the race, if we are going to run the race together and stay in the race and finish the race, we must all trust God. You must trust God. Yes, you must trust Pastor Paul and you must trust me, but bottom line, it's really not about us. And I realize we're living in a day and age when there's all kinds of pastors the big-time guys that are falling like flies. 
And so for me to say you got to trust is like, whoa, why should we trust you? Well, here's the answer, because God says so. But it's really not trusting us. Yes, practically, it's trusting God. Because he has put us here to shepherd the sheep of heritage. So what do you need to do? Follow your leaders. Trust God. Father, you've given this body of believers that we call heritage, your church in Clark Summit. You've given them, Pastor Paul and I, as shepherds, as pastors, as the leaders of this flock, of, as the overseers, the elders, to, to lead this flock to become more like Jesus. Father, we need your help. Pastor Paul and I need the strength and the direction and the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding and the alertness that only you can give. And God, this morning, yes, I, I've declared what your word says. So, in a sense, yes, we've painted pastor on our backs and said, follow us. And God, I know that we have sheep in this flock, believers who are struggling, who are hurting. I pray for Jenny for healing. Continue to strengthen Linda. I pray for Don Ellsworth. Oh, God, he needs you to give him power and strength. For Judy, encourage her. And God, I know there are others that we've been praying for. My mind is just blank right now, but Lord, there are people that are struggling. There are people that are struggling not with physical ailments, but other issues. Maybe husbands and wives, maybe parents and kids. The hurt, relationships, job, school, the neighborhood, whatever, all kinds of... God, help us. Pastor Paul and I, to care for these sheep, your people, your flock, your church. And God, I pray that you would help each of us to follow you, to trust you, and to follow the lead that you've given to Pastor Paul and I. Not for our good, but for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. I need you every hour I need you my one defense my righteousness oh God how I need temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my Righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you.
God, we do need you. Paul and I need you desperately. So that we can be examples. Stay on mission. Shepherd these sheep. These people that we love and know. Care for them. Protect them. Lead them. God, I pray that as we do, as a church, your church, your way, that we would see your blessing, that we would see your power, that we would see people coming to Christ, baptized, taught to obey, and making disciples. God, do something amazing here at Heritage that we've never seen done before. For your glory, according to your plan for your church. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.